I have to stop talking, get myself into a hole. <laughs> Father, thank you that, um, that your words are amazing. Thank you that we can learn so much about you. Thank you for everyone who has arrived on a cold winter's night to, um, to look at your word and to learn from you. And, and I just pray, Father, that you would um, keep us alert, keep us awake, show us the things you would have us see. Give us deep understanding, Lord, because we need it to be able to live for you. And, um, and to live with grace, Lord, with grace and love and mercy and, and all of those things that uh, you are, to, for us to show who you are by the way we live. And I pray, Lord, because I know that you've promised to do it. And so I ask, Father, that you would um, be speaking right deeply into our hearts so that we would know that we cannot fail so insofar as we surrender our will to yours. So I thank you, Father, for what you will do and how you're teaching us through this letter that Peter wrote. And I praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, um, right from the beginning... Oh, just a reminder, I don't think anyone comes from here, but next Wednesday morning is our monthly prayer meeting. So, um, oh, Eve, yes, you do, don't you? So next Wednesday, 10.30 till 12 here on Wednesday morning. Um, yeah, from the beginning of his letter, Peter makes sure that we understand something about Jesus, and that is that he is God. And um, that uh, truth is uh, much under attack in our day, um, and, and probably in Peter's, which is why he and Paul wrote the way they wrote about Jesus. If you look at the first two verses, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. That is, Jesus Christ is God and Saviour. And Paul writes the same thing to Titus. Um, it's actually in many places in the New Testament, but we'll just go to Titus. Uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 10, and uh, chapter 3, verse 4. So, Titus 2, verse 10. Um, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Saviour, in every respect. Mm -hmm. And chapter 3, verse 4. Um, uh, where are we? But when the kindness of God, our Saviour, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us on the basis of deeds, not, uh, not on the basis of deeds which we have done, but according to his righteousness. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ is God, mm -hmm. is God. And he is God the Saviour. Now that totally ties up with God in the Old Testament saying there is no other God but me and that there is no Saviour but me. Only God is Saviour. So only God can save. That is an essential truth of Christianity. If you do not believe that Jesus Christ is God, you are not saved. You are not believing in the right Jesus. That's the thing. You're believing a fake gospel about a fake Jesus or a false Jesus. And so it's really important. The reason I'm stressing it is that it is very much under attack. There is a teaching that says, and I'm in email contact with someone who is debating this with me, um, that Jesus gave up his divinity when he was on earth and uh, when he was baptised with the Holy Spirit, he then uh, was able to do the miracles and everything else that he did. Now, what that teaching does, the reason that they, that teaching has taken such hold is it means that you and I, who are just humans, when we are baptised with the Spirit, we can do what Jesus did. That is a lie. And that's a lie you hear in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3 that God knows in the day you eat of that tree, you will be like him. You will be like him. So Jesus is God. It's difficult because it's so hard to understand 100% God and 100% man. You can't fit it together properly. But he is God and he is saviour. And that's why Peter writes as he does, um, by the, uh, to those who have received the faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and saviour, Jesus Christ. So in those four verses, I, I think I said a few weeks ago, you could spend years in these verses. There's so much in these first four verses. Um, what does he say as God and Saviour? He says Jesus Christ 
gave us some things or enabled some things for us. So, uh, first of all, he says, to those who have received a faith of the same kind of ours as ours, by or through <coughs> or in the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ. So the faith that we have received, which is the same as the faith that Peter received, was received by way of or through the righteousness of Christ Jesus. That's what makes this faith different to any other, that it was Christ's righteousness that enabled and gave us the faith. So um, what is his righteousness? What was Christ's righteousness? <coughs> Excuse me. What is the righteousness of Christ? His yeah, his obedience to God. His obedience to God. Through love. Through love, through for, through his love for the Father. Yes. So it's his obedience to his Father um, that is actually his righteousness. So now think about that by extension. What is our righteousness? How does righteousness show itself in our life? Mm. Mm. It's exactly the same. It's not the things you do. It's your attitude of obedience and surrender and love for the Father. And it's by Christ's obedience that two other things, or by his righteousness, two other things are also ours. What does Peter say? What are the other two things? See, Christ's obedience is, called, is, is his righteousness. His righteousness enabled us to come into right standing with God. And so, grace and peace. We have grace and peace by the righteousness of Christ Jesus. By his righteousness, by his obedience and love for the Father, we receive grace and peace. The thing is, when you trust him as saviour... No, no, no. What you mean, water baptism, do you mean, or baptism by the Spirit? For, for our situation, mm. there's no statement <coughs> about the need. Oh, I see, sorry, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you still battling that one? No, I just uh, need it. Okay, <laughs> okay, yeah. Ferment, yeah, okay, yeah. These are essentials. What Peter's writing about are essentials for faith. Jesus Christ is God. He is the Saviour. And by his righteousness, by his right standing with God, because of his obedience and love and surrender to God, we are enabled to come into right relationship with God. Paul will say, um, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And then he, Peter will say... Um, that because we have this righteousness, because of Christ's righteousness, which we are now um, the beneficiary of, grace and peace are ours too. So what's grace? Yeah, that's the typical grace. Uh, what's it? God's riches at uh, Christ's expense and unmerited favour and all of that. But what else is grace? Because it was grace that saved you. It was grace that moved you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. It was God's grace that enabled you to... Re yes, that's true. That is what grace is. But grace is not an inanimate thing. It's not a thing. It's not a feeling. It's an action, and if it's God's grace, it must be powerful. So it is powerful grace that is multiplied. Peter will say that's multiplied to us. Um, so the grace, we have grace, it, and it is God's favour. It's God's favour to undeserving people, but it is also power, his power, that is we receive by the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Um, so you could say if grace, has a, if grace is a person... Who's the person? Jesus, or his spirit who lives within us. If grace is a person, that person is Christ. And we receive that person by the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit is God, and God is powerful. So everything about God is all-powerful, almighty. And so his grace is powerful grace. And Paul will write about um, 
the surpassing great power that is at work towards those who believe in Ephesians. So there is this grace that is multiplied and the um, result of the experience of uh, Christ's righteousness enabling us to receive this faith that we have received, we're also receiving peace. What does he mean by peace? Is that we morally excellent? <laughs> <laughs> well, peace. What does peace mean? What sort of peace is... Yeah, it is. Yes, but what does he mean when he says um, grace and peace be multiplied to you? Hello, Roger. Hi. Hello, Jane. Nice to see you. No, no, it's cold and wintry. Well done you for coming. I've come home. Yeah, but more, because that's, a f that's your feeling and experience. What is peace with God? What is the definition of peace with God in Scripture? Mm. Well-being, yeah, it does. Well, in, every, yeah. in every way, I right. Wholeness, well-being, it means that kind of thing. Yeah. But there are two kinds of peace in the scriptures. There's peace, which is the peace that passes all understanding. There's that type of peace, the sort of the inner feeling of well-being, shalom, that sort of thing. But the peace with God that is also true of us is true because we are justified with, by Christ. We are now in right relationship with God. And, and Jesus will say, or John Peter will say, Paul will say, we have peace with God because of um, the death of Christ. It's Romans 5 verse 1. Mm. Right. What's that got to do with peace? Well, it is. It's him say, you know, Father says, me okay. Oh, okay, I see what you mean. <laughs> sorry. Oh, come on, Anne. Get with it. Sorry, sorry. Oh, my goodness. Half past seven. I'm very sorry, Mike. I was very slow. You're okay, I'm okay. Yeah. Anyway, moving swiftly on. Romans 5, verse 1. Um, Paul talks about this peace. Therefore, having just been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. So this peace and grace, they are not just undeserved favour and you know, the peace that passes all understanding, that sense of well-being. The peace and grace of God are huge. They are more than us feeling good or us being in a state of wholeness. They are God's power at work and his power. We have peace with God, which means we are not his enemies anymore. We were his enemies, but now we're not. We have peace with God. And now think about that <coughs> because Paul and Peter say they're available through the righteousness of Christ. Now, you and I, we would call ourselves believers, right? We are Christians. We are at peace with God. We are not enemies of God. Yet the whole New Testament is writing to people who would describe themselves that way, and it is calling them to live at peace with God, to live in the grace of God. So, you know... <sighs> There are two things always going on. There is this that is true about you as a believer, but there is you living like it's true. And in, in Corinthians, when he writes to the Corinthians, Paul will say, I beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. But he's writing to people who are reconciled. So what does that mean? But is that a continuum? It is, yeah. Right, but so what's possible then, Anne? They haven't got full knowledge of it. Maybe. But what else is also possible? They just, they just neglect. Neglect. Yeah. They need encouraging. Yeah, they need encouraging. Because... We do, but Paul's writing, be, I beg you, John, I beg <laughs> you, be reconciled to God. And you could answer, I am reconciled to God. I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But what he means is... You are not living as a friend of God. You are living like you used to live as an enemy of God. How can that be? Because you have the... Pa I'm not, don't mean you, John, but how can that be if you have the powerful grace of God at work in your life? It cannot be. None should perish. So he's always been fine. 
is absolutely the appeasement. Of course, yeah, but this is about this is about bit living reconciled. Living reconciled. You see, we are taught all the time that you are right with God if you are in Christ Jesus. And that is true. You have right standing with God if you are in Christ, if you have trusted him for your salvation. But they are easy words. And if they are not backed up by your life, then they mean nothing. And that's what the New Testament is full of. It's full of that. It's how are you living? I mean, if you say to me, you are a believer in the Lord Jesus and you go home and beat your children or, or abuse your husband or your wife or, or, or speak words of anger to the person that you say you love, what does it mean that you are a receiver of the grace and the peace of God and that you are in right standing with him? It doesn't mesh. It doesn't add up. Exactly, but that's what we're trying to get to. There is an old self. And so, so that's where we're falling all the time. We're falling. We're not understanding. There is an old nature that has to be put to death. And if you get complacent, yeah. think, and then sin creeps in. Exactly. And it's so acceptable in, in this day and age. And actually, it may not look like sin, and it may not act like sin, but it is. It's just that sin has sort of been watered down in mm. the... Mm. I thought I was really quite all right when I first became Christian. I seem to get worse. Me too. <laughs> Me too. That's my experience. That's my experience. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But I do want to say, that, you know, again, it's not, it's not simply saying, well, I have got the old nature, and so, you know... What am I going to do? Oh, that's how I am. Yeah. That's not good enough. Because you actually have been moved. And that's what Peter will say. If you go back, he says in, first, in Second Peter, he says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, by the glory and excellence of Jesus Christ, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Having already escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. You don't live in the world that is corrupted by lust anymore. You live in a new kingdom. And you are able to partake of the divine nature. You have, in a way, already partaken because you have the Holy Spirit. But the nature of God is not simply the, the God being there by his spirit. It's you partaking of that nature. Now, the, the, <laughs> the thing is... First of all, we have to understand we have a human nature that must be put to death. But the thing that should follow that is, well, I can't put that to death. And so that's why we need God's promise that everything to do with life and godliness has already been given to us. So now every vestige of excuse is taken. You are not who you were. You stand in the right place with God. He is multiplying grace and peace to you through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He has promised he has given you everything pertaining to life and godliness. You can partake and share in the divine nature because you have escaped the corruption that is in the world. So tell me, why do you still do what you do? <coughs> now, I'm asking myself too. This is not about Satan. This is about us. Yes, this is about us. Your flesh, your old nature. That's what's causing you. It's all, yes, that's the problem. And what's the answer? That's what Peter's going to tell us. The answer is applying all diligence, supply, add to your faith these things. Now, that's an action that we have to take. We have to do that. <clears throat> again, how many times do you hear Christians say, oh, just let go and let God. Let go and let God. I mean, he's done it and he'll do it. 
Just relax. Don't worry. It's not a rule book. You don't have to do these things. Everything's done. Everything's finished in Christ Jesus. You're headed for heaven. It is hard. It is. It is hard. And that's why... Yeah. No. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yes. Why? Because it's God who's at work in you. Exactly. It is a two-way street. God has decided to involve us in our sanctification. I wish He hadn't. No. Go ahead, Eve. Because you once told us almost like if we have this mindset that we're holy, if we've got this mindset that we have virtue, knowledge. Perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, mm. and love. If we say that and then add to it, it really increases definitely. that understanding and that walk. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's all very well, yes, of course, you know, mm. there can be struggles, but it's the reminder of what we have definitely. that increases yeah. that's mm. the diligence. Definitely. If you don't know that you're a saint, there is no way you can live like a saint. You have to know you're a saint to be able to live like a saint. That's why if you still think you're a sinner, if you call yourself a sinner, you will live like a sinner. If you say, I'm a sinner, I'm struggling, I know, oh, I know God is real, I know Jesus is real, I know he died for me, but I'm a sinner and I just can't, you know, I can't do this, can't do that, then you will end up living in that sin the whole time. Mm. Mm. It says that his righteousness is imputed to us. Mm. Not only do we understand that we receive his righteousness, it's imputed to us. So the desire to be unrighteous here for time is reduced. Yes, mm. it is, it is. Mm. It is, but we, you can still talk to Christians who have been Christians 40 years, who are still. So it's that balance, isn't it? It's trying to understand, I'm a saint, I must live like a saint, or I can live like a saint. God has empowered me that way. But now I find that sometimes a challenge, because if God is enabling me to live the way he wants me to live, if he has given me his grace and his peace and his righteousness and his power and everything else, then the times I'm not living like that are a real indictment because now I can't say. No yeah, exactly. And that's what God does. That's what he's doing. He wants to strip us of every excuse and show us the state of our heart because it's not until you see how vile you are will you really know the depths that God had to go to to save you. That's the thing. If you can be like this now, knowing God, what would you be like without him? Go ahead, John. It's like saying, I take Lady's point, <coughs> your glass is half full. Mm. Mm. It's not half empty. Mm. So if you take the approach that this is what we have, mm. we will strive mm. to continue to fill with mm. 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 And to live as you know you can not live. Not to declare ourselves mm. Yes, yeah. This um, is where Wesley fell over, wasn't it, in, le- in his ministry, because he said that we have obtained and we yeah. are complete And which is a case you can prove in Scripture. Colossians chapter 2, 9 and 10. In him dwells all the fullness of deity in bodily form, and we are complete in him. Complete, finished, mature, perfect in him. But we're patently not. So it's the two things always together. We have received the righteousness of Christ, but we are becoming the righteousness of Christ. It's we're there on the one hand, but we're being changed. Exactly. We're becoming what we already are. Exactly. That's what's happening. Yeah, exactly. We're becoming what we already are. Yeah. So what, what Peter's trying to get to them to understand is he starts with these first four verses, which are magnificent, about these promises that are amazing and that God has done all of this. And then he's going to say, for this reason, now for this very reason, because God has done all of this, do this. That's the Christian life. Because you believe God has done all of that, do this. Now, the things that you're doing, he's talking about now um, adding, what does he say? In your faith, supply moral excellence. In your faith, supply. Why will you supply, I mean, just even before we get into those things, why will you even do any of this? Yeah, because you love God, right. And, And because you love God, something else is true about you. What is it? 
I mean, sorry, that's a big question. It could be have any answers. Because you love God, you want to be like him. Actually, that's the human condition. We want to be like God. That's what Adam and Eve wanted to do. Be like God. But now, we don't want to be God. We just want to see him represented more and more in us. Yeah, we want his character traits brought out in us. Uh, recognizing how far we are from that. So can you see, it's amazing actually, because the thing that caused Adam and Eve to wreck, if you like, is the very thing that we now want. We want to be like Christ. That's what they said they wanted. But instead of us understanding that it's as he is made large in our lives and we are made small, they wanted it by them being made large and God being made small. So again, it's easier and easier to see deception as you start to think about that. In any sort of teaching, who is magnified? Is it people or is it Christ? Is it God or is it, you know, the world? What, what is it? You know, why are, why are we doing what we're doing? Is it for me or is it for God? Is it for us or is it for God? And now that's a real challenge. Yes, but it's a real challenge because... You know, to be honest, quite often what we're doing is for us. We wrap it up in the fact that it's for God, but mostly it's for us because we want to do it. Yeah. So even our goodness. So perhaps it's when you don't want to do something and you do it. Maybe. You realise the fruitfulness Maybe. and the fun of it. Yeah. That's yeah. Perhaps that's okay. Yeah. So then, Eve, think about it. What's the hardest thing you can think of doing? What's the hardest thing? Well, I was knocking on... Oh, okay, yeah. So think, sorry, yeah, that is one hard thing, I agree, knocking on doors. But I'm thinking more about personality traits. What's the hardest thing you can think of? I mean, in you, in who you are, what's the hardest thing that you can think of changing about yourself or working with God in? So, for example, you know, are you, are, do you have a relationship with someone where you know you're right and they're always... I, I'm not trying to trivialise this, I'm just trying... You, you know you're right and they're wrong and they're consistently wrong, and they're consistently upsetting, and they are consistently not understanding, are you prepared to say, I, I could, I'm wrong? Exactly. It's, it's being able to say, um, I want to be like Christ. I want to die for, to myself in order to, say, to let that person live. Oh no, that's what I mean. That's exactly, exactly. what I mean, Eve. But it wasn't no I'm wrong. Because no. actually that's actually denying the truth that you believe. But the important thing is that I love him still. I don't mean no I'm wrong about Sorry. a truth about the Bible or a truth about God. I mean um you know, let's take okay, you and your husband or you and your wife or you and your brother or sister or friend or whatever one you want to do it. You know, are you prepared to say, Do you know what? I've been thinking this way all this time. And, and this has been happening all this time. And I know it's always been that person's fault. Mm-hmm. Or whatever you say. Are you prepared to say, no, I am taking full responsibility for this situation. And mean it. Mean it. And so bring the grace of God into your situation. I mean, I don't know if that's a good example or not. Maybe it's not a good example. But, but you must have examples in your life that are all about you. They're all about you and, and you being right or you, whatever it is or you feeling this way or you being able to be like this. Or, or It's all about you and it's wrapped up in you saying, but I want to be like Christ. I'll let it go. Yeah. So now it's like, okay, how will you start to work on those areas of your life that you know deep down God does not like? Maybe my examples are not good. So the questions are, do you want to be made more like Christ Jesus? And don't say yes without thinking, because being made more like Christ Jesus is hard. It is hard. And just when you think you're doing okay, there is God saying, you know, let's, let's go a bit further. Let's go, yeah, let's take this a bit further. 
Do you want God to change you on the inside? You see, you can be changed on the outside. You can talk a good game from now until eternity. You can sound like a Christian. And, but do you want God to change you on the inside? As you said, Maria, when you first came to Christ, you thought you were okay. So did I. So did I. People who are babies in Christ, i.e. people who have never grown, they think they're still okay. Do you want to live holy and righteous? I mean, really, do you? <laughs> do you want to be holy? Because that's being totally other. <laughs> do you want to be totally other? Yes. So, Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This is what God has done. The Christian life is a life of faith, and it is a life of faith in a person. And that life lays hold of the promises of God. That's what he's going to talk about, these magnificent and precious promises. And he says, like babies, you were born and you had everything you needed, but there is a uh, growing up that has to be done. There is a growing up. I'm always talking about discipleship. That's discipleship, yeah. Second Peter chapter 1. I mean, he doesn't say there's a growing up. He doesn't say it in that way. But he, sa- he tells you what God has done. And then he says, So for this reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. Um, what, does mor- what is moral excellence then? Virtue. Right. Right. What is what is virtue or what is that? Go ahead, Carol. Mm. Okay, goodness and glory. Yeah. So excellence, virtue is is joined with glory. Glory and virtue go together. Glory and excellence go together. And the reason for that is that the the Greek word translated excellence actually means the fulfillment of a thing. So, if you fulfill your purpose, you are excellent. So, a field that has been planted with wheat, when the wheat grows up and can be harvested, that is an excellent field or an excellent crop. So, when... um, when a, you buy a can opener and it actually opens the cans, it is an excellent can opener because it has fulfilled the purpose for which it was made. I was thinking of homework and when the kids get everything right. There you go. The teacher was excellent. <laughs> exactly. Fulfilled the purpose. Okay, so now think about that and apply. When Peter says, in your faith, supl- apply moral excellence, what does he mean? Yeah? Fulfill your purpose. Fulfill your purpose. Morally, in every way, fulfill your purpose. What is your purpose? To glorify God. To glorify God. To proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. That's what Peter says in his first letter. The prophet told the Jewish people to do that and they misunderstood put a flattery in their forehead with with five texts in from the Pentateuch and they wrapped their hands with a piece of thong uh, again to bind your hands mm. but what it really meant was in all your dealings be honest and mm. a handshake mm. as you be as honest as your heart mm. is towards God mm. they misunderstood it mm. as do we exactly we, we you know yes because well, I, I yeah. thought it was to do with morals I yeah. thought it was to do with the yeah. drunkenness yeah. I mean I'm not saying it isn't because it's obviously um, it's obvious holiness is purity isn't it I mean it's it's it's, it's being like God who doesn't get drunk and who doesn't do those things. But excellence, the word excellence means fulfilling the purpose. So if you are fulfilling your purpose, what are you doing? You are glorifying God. And, and to glorify God as a human being, what is the way you glorify God? Yes, by being like him, actually. That's how you glorify God, by actually manifesting the reality of who God is. How do you think you can do that? Yes. So what are the tools he's given us? 
for that, because that's right, Brenda. Hmm? The word and... Yeah, and prayer. prayer and by the Holy Spirit. So now give me an example of what that is, what that would look like in your life. I'm t- I, I always try to do examples and they don't always work. So you give me an example of how you would fulfill your purpose in your life, your moral excellence. Well, we've seen a film recently uh, where these chapters uh, promoted to a new job and the boss uh, called him into the office and said, um, this is your, you're now going to be the foreman, uh, and uh, when there are five bales arrive, I want you to put in four. Mm. And so he said, uh, go away and think about the job. He came back the next day, and the new foreman said, no, I'm sorry, I can't take the motion. Mm-hmm. That's so it. the boss then said, great, you're the man I want. You're the man I want, yeah. Okay, thank you. So that's, that's yeah. Yeah, but give me a, a, you know, how will you fulfill your purpose? Only do what you hear, see the Father Yeah, you're going to read the word and hear what God says to you and do what he says. Jesus is very clear, I think it's John 7, John yeah. 7, 17. He says, um, where is it? John seven seventeen. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. You have to be willing to do God's will. And actually, in a way, if you are willing to do God's will, whether or not you actually achieve it, doesn't matter because you have fulfilled the purpose of your life. So, of course... We have a human nature, we have an enemy, we have all of these things, but the fulfilling of our purpose is that we would surrender to the will of God and want his will. Um, Okay, so he lists these uh, seven characteristics, starts off with uh, moral excellence, and then he goes on to, in your moral excellence, Knowledge. knowledge. Why do you think he goes on to knowledge? Yeah. When he says the word knowledge, it means experience. So in your moral excellence, in the fulfilling of your, your purpose, uh, in your m- morality, in the way that you live, um, add knowledge, add experience of the truth. How do you add experience of the truth? Knowledge. How do you add knowledge? Uh, can I just ask mm. that? Is G-N-O-M-E the Greek for that word knowledge, or have I got the wrong word? Because I got cognition, resolve, advice, agree, judgment, mind, purpose. Yeah, yeah. Is that wrong? No, no, that's not wrong. I think G-N-O-M-E, I'm not sure what that is. Is it the verb or the noun or the, I'm not sure. But but it was to Yes. So, but think about that, agree. What does agree, what's the other one? Purpose, will, resolve, cognition, judgment. So if you're growing in your knowledge, knowledge of who? God. God. And if you're growing in your agreement and your will and your purpose, you're actually experiencing God, aren't you? That's what it is. So it's, not, you're, it's a slightly different derivation, but it's the same idea. That, that to say you, are, you will do God's will is different to actually doing it. And when you do it, you experience the will of God. So, um, yeah, so... So, I can't remember what, what was I saying? I can't remember. Um, growing in the knowledge of, and in your knowledge, self-control. I, I want to turn just briefly to Colossians, if that's all right. Colossians chapter 1. Uh, because um, I really think it's important that we understand that this is not polishing up human qualities. This is not polishing the best thing. This is not copying the best person you know. It's not you know, trying to be better than Mother Teresa or whoever it is. This is not that. What Peter is talking about is growing in the characteristics of God, of Christ Jesus, and fulfilling the purpose for which you are still on the planet. So uh, Colossians 1, um, Paul's writing to the Colossians, and he's going to say that because he's heard certain things about them, he prays for them. Uh, Verse 9 
For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, in actual fact, Paul's prayer for the Colossians is almost the same as what Peter is saying in Second Peter. And it's amazing to me that it is. So I just wanted to break it down a little bit to see if we can see how they two, the two of them fit together. Um, what is Paul's prayer for them? He says, for, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask what? That you be filled with the knowledge of his will. With the, and how will you be, in what, how, in what way? In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now this is really important because you cannot be filled with the knowledge of God's will without the spiritual um, without the Holy Spirit giving you understanding and wisdom. So it's spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's not human stuff. It's not that we look at a list of rules and regulations and say, well, they, they can't be a Christian because they're not doing this. Or it's, it's about understanding more and more about Christ so that when you're, you understand more about him and the Holy Spirit gives you that wisdom and understanding, you are able to look at yourself clearly and say, I'm not like that but I want to be, and then to go along with whatever the Lord takes you in. Do you see what I mean? And it's, it is a spiritual understanding. In, in Corinthians, Paul will say, spiritual things are spiritually appraised. A natural man cannot understand this. So this is not something that you can get with your human wisdom. This is God, uh, Paul praying for them that they'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual understanding. Why? Yeah, but according to Paul, why? Why in this, this little pa passage? That we will walk worthy. Walk worthy. What is Peter saying in his, in his letter? He's saying, in your faith, in the faith that you received because of the righteousness of Christ, apply, supply this. Walk worthy. Walk worthy of the calling. And walking worthy of the Lord, what happens when you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Just from the text in Colossians. You're going to be, yeah. You're going to please him in all respects. Imagine the day when you can hear God say, I am pleased with you. I'm pleased with you. And walking worthy of the, uh, the Lord, it pleases God. What, when you're pleasing God in all respects, what also is happening? According to the text and Colossians, according to the text. Yeah, before that. You are bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work. What's fruit? Kindness, yeah, but forget the listing of them. That's true. But what is fruit here? It's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's the manifestation of Christ in you. It's the things that you could not possibly be bearing without the work of God in your life. Now, I'm sure that many of you here can be patient. You can be kind, you can be self-controlled, but this is going much deeper than that and saying this is something in spiritual wisdom and understanding that God wants to work out in your life. And when he does, you will please him and you will bear fruit in every good work. So bearing fruit, but what is it also supposing, presupposing? Here. That you're involved in good work. That you're involved in good work. To please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. What good work? What good work? Yeah? 
yes. Yes, that's true. The, the work that he created in advance for you to do. That's Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. That God created work in advance for you to do. Ephesians 2 verse 10. So now what's happening is you're being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You're pleasing him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, bearing fruit in the work that God created in advance for you to do, increasing in the knowledge of God. Why are you increasing in the knowledge of God? How? Because you're experiencing that and you're experiencing the manifestation of his spirit in you. So now you are experiencing him in your life, growing in the knowledge or increasing in the knowledge of God. And when that happens, what happens? According to the text, Colossians, you're strengthened with all power. This is all connecting. This is like a connecting circle. You are strengthened with all power. What sort of power? The power of his glorious might. The power of his glorious might and the result of that glorious might and the power strengthened with his power is steadfastness and patience. Steadfastness and patience. Why is that what we're going to attain to? <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we're, yeah. well what, what, when do you need steadfastness and patience? While you're alive, yeah. while you're on this planet, you need steadfastness, you need the ability to faithfully keep on keeping on, and you need patience with the circumstances and the people around you. And that, and with yourself. So, yes, and with yourself. So this is what Paul is saying. This is a circle. Grow in your knowledge. I'm praying that you grow in your knowledge of God so that you walk in a manner worthy of him, so that you please him in all respects, so that you bear fruit in every good work, so that you're increasing in the knowledge of God. It's like knowledge of God, bump. Knowledge of God, bump. Knowledge of God. And it's this circle that goes on and on. And actually, it goes that way. It's like a, a spring only it's going upwards and you're increasing and increasing and increasing in your experience of God in your life. Now, when that's happening, when that's happening, what do you think accompanies that? Joy. Joy. Joyously giving thanks to the Father. Why? What does it say here in Colossians? Who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. When you find yourself growing in that way, when you're growing in your knowledge of God, you're understanding in spiritual wisdom and understanding what his will is for your life, you're determining to walk in that will and to walk worthy of him. And then you know that you're pleasing him and that you're bearing fruit in every good work and that you're strengthened by his power according to his glorious might. You can't help but joyously give thanks. And it's the joyously giving thanks that manifests the reality of God in your life. Do you see what I mean? It's, it's, it's just this wonderful assurance. If you get to that stage where you can joyously give thanks to God, no matter what you've had to face or how you've had to walk or how hard it has been to walk worthy of your calling or how much you must battle against the enemies that you face, when you come through that and you know that you're growing in the knowledge of God, there is joy in that that cannot be imitated. That is the witness of God in your life. And he provides it. He provides that witness. And what all he's starting with in Colossians is, will you grow? I'm praying, Paul says, that you grow in your knowledge of God. And Peter says, in this faith, supplying, applying all diligence, supply moral excellence and knowledge. And what else does he say? How much, what does he go on? Go back to Second Peter. What's his next thing? I've forgotten what it is. Oh, self-control. Self-control. Perseverance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, self-control. What's self-control all about? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, doing his will, not yours. Just self-control is about how you control the pleasures in your life, isn't it? It's how you control your, uh, yeah, your own self in terms of letting yourself do what you want to do. I'm, I'm talking about that in, in contrast to perseverance. What's perseverance? Also, it's your yeah, of course, yeah. What's perseverance? Mm, keeping on, keeping on. So self-control is a fruit of the spirit and it's when you are able to control the pleasures in your life, when you are able to do that. And perseverance is when you are able to keep on keeping on even though it's difficult in your life. Not the pleasures, but the difficulties. Um, okay, and godliness. What's godliness? Excellence. Yeah, yeah excellence. Godliness is being like God, isn't it? It's, it's being like God, God-likeness. That's what it means. Um, brotherly kindness, what's brotherly kindness? Hmm? Yeah, it's being kind to each other, it's treating each other. Hmm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. Brotherly kindness, um, leading to what, what's the next one? And in your brotherly kindness, love. There's more than brotherly kindness. Mm. There's more than the kindness we show to one another, which is evidence that we're born of God. There, there is more, and that is love. What's the sort of love that he, he's, he means? Yeah, it's the love that, with which Christ loves and did love. So can you see how he builds up all these characteristics? And he's asking us to supply those things. He's saying, in this, supply this, and then supply this, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see how the word knowledge again comes back? And that's what Paul used in his prayer. It's all about our experiencing, knowing and experiencing um, Christ in our lives. Um, and it's impossible for human nature to manufacture these. You cannot do this alone. They have to be produced by the Holy Spirit. There's no shortcut. And the Holy Spirit produces the fruit in you when you decide you will go along with his work. And there, I mean, there are many, many people who could be patient and who could be kind and who could be loving. There are many people who could love in, in a way sacrificially. There are a lot of people already doing that. So, but this is something more. This is something deeper. And what happens when... Uh, a well, what happens when God produces this is that God gets the glory and it is obvious. So it's not that people look at you and say, well, look at Caroline, she's so kind and loving and godly, right? It's not that. It's that, well, look at Caroline. How could she be like this? Sorry, Caroline, but you're the, you know. Wow, I knew her when and now she's, yeah, I'm sure. But you know what I mean. It's like... It, or uh, not you, Caroline. I'm sure you've always been like that. It's like me. Wow, look at Anne. How could she be like this? You know, how could they be like this? It can only be God. It can only be a miracle or a work of the Holy Spirit. Um, so you, can you? I've got mm, to ask a mm, please. Uh, supposing ask. you love going to football matches mm. because you talked about self-control. Mm. And let's say your desire to go to a football match. But actually, underlyingly, you're thinking, now who am I going to beat? Who are you yes. going to speak to Jesus? Now, you know, that could be using a, a joy that you have. Definitely. actually making very good use I'm of very it. glad you said it, actually, because oh, I like going to football matches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no, that. No, no, I tend not to, because they're always, always a bit noisy next to me. So, But no, of course, yes, of course. It's all about the motive, it's not about... But that's what I suppose I mean when I say these are not human characteristics, because it's very easy. You know, I suspect everybody in this room is a fairly moral person. You know, you've lived a fairly good life. You know, you haven't killed anyone or, you know, whatever. Not yet, yeah. So... <laughs> But, but you see what I mean? You know, it, it's hard for good people to understand that this is nothing about your goodness. This is all about God. 
And this will show itself in your life in ways that you can't even imagine. So you can't even try to do it because if you try to do it, you'll pick the areas that are easy for you. And, 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 and you'll pick the, the things that, that God wouldn't pick necessarily straight away. So this is something that only God can do. And that's why God gets the glory. Um, so if you're thinking, well, I'm a pretty good person and I don't, you know, I don't need to think about this. I'm already self-controlled. I don't get drunk, don't kick the cat, don't smoke. You know, I'm already very self-controlled. And I do persevere. Look at the trial I've just been through. And I mean, I persevered. If you're thinking like that, you are a long way from this. So it, it, it is, you know, it's not straightforward. Well, I mean, it is straightforward, but it's not. Because it's causing us to really look at our motives. Really look at why you're doing certain things or feeling certain things or thinking certain things and understanding that to fulfill your purpose is vastly different than you just living what you call a moral life. Um, as, as, as God's doing what he's doing, I mean, he's promised that he's supplied everything you need in order to do this, but he's asking you to go along with that work and apply these things, supply these things. What will start to happen to you? I mean, we know, we've talked a lot about it, but, but in the end, you know, let's say 20 years down the line, when you've managed to master one thing according to the will of God, no, I'm only kidding, but, you know, 20 years down the line, what will you be like? <laughs> No, you'll be alive, Brenda. You'll be alive forevermore with the Lord. You will be alive, yes. No, no, it's good, it's good, yeah. Yeah, look, everybody likes it. But forgetting Brenda, what will you... What, what will you be like? Somebody we don't recognise. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and what will that be? That'll be Jesus. You'll look like Jesus. And you'll talk like Jesus. And you'll live like Jesus. And that's amazing. Because that's what you want, isn't it? That's what we want. To be like Christ. And that's the guarantee. God's saying, I've made you these precious and magnificent promises. I've supplied everything you need for life and godliness. You, have part, you are sharing in the divine nature because you have escaped the corruption that is in the world. There is nothing that you don't have that, that you need. You have everything you need. The only thing God is asking is for you to apply, supply um, moral excellence. Supply. Start to add what you can add. Yeah. So what can you add? If it's not human characteristics, what can you add to this? How can you add or supply moral excellence? By being willing. Yeah, by being willing. That's the first thing. But by being willing, that's how you're going to start to supply. Now, I really, you know, these, these words are so easy. Self-control, you know, moral excellence. I mean, they're easy in terms of the definition of them. But they are not easy when you start to really ask God to look at you. Show me what this is about in my life. Show me what self-control is about in my life. You know, I mean, I've controlled most things now, Lord, well, with his power. But, you know, I don't smoke and I don't drink. I don't commit adultery. I am not ashamed. Yeah, but but no, but Mike, go deeper. That's what God's calling us to. We are not baby Christians. We are Christians being called to go deeper and deeper with the Lord and ask Him. You know, okay, is there an area in my life where I am not fulfilling my purpose? You know, forget about the morality thing and the rules and the regs and the. Ten Commandments. Is there an area in my life where I am not fulfilling my purpose? And I can tell you there are areas in mine where I am not. And self-control, yeah, I think I've got self-control pretty much under control, but I still get irritated. Why do I get irritated? And why does that spill out of me like a knee-jerk reaction? 
<laughs> no, I'm not bothered on the road anymore, John. I am like the perfect law-abiding driver now. Mm. But I'm, you know, seriously, look at these things and ask the Lord to show you because this is not baby stuff. You know, Second Peter is not a letter written to babies. It's written to people who are supposed to know the difference and who care about living for God and who care about witnessing for God because Peter is writing the end of the world is coming. The end of the world is coming. Exactly. And people are perishing. And it matters that you supply all of this stuff. Um, and he's going to make some chilling statements, which we'll talk about next time probably. This, you know, for, the, um, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. <coughs> Excuse me. For, as lo- for in this way, the entrance... Sorry, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. So this is important stuff, really important, and not to be glossed over. God wants us conformed to the image of his son. We are supposed to want that that too. And if you want that too, you are supposed to supply all of these things into your life. I think we've reached the end. I, I think I skipped through a lot of my notes. I don't know why, but anyway. You did. You didn't tell us about the skip. The skip? Oh, <laughs> who told you about the skip? Oh, did he? <laughs> oh, yeah. How funny. And it did actually cross my mind a few minutes ago to say that I thought, oh, no, that's not good. No, I just said this morning that really, if you can picture, someone has pulled up in front of your house and they've parked a huge skip in your driveway, right? And it is full of really good stuff. Really, really good stuff. And there's a big notice on the skip and it says, help yourself. Right? That's what Peter's saying. God's made precious and magnificent promises to you. And he's saying, help yourself. Help yourself to this. Help yourself to grace and peace and power and righteousness. Help yourself. Help yourself to moral excellence. You can go out and take it out and take it back into your house and then go out as many times as you want. That's what this is. God's done it. It is. It is. It starts with believing. It's really easy. It's like, do I believe that God has done this? Do I believe that he's provided everything I need for life and godliness? If I do, I will apply, supply moral excellence. I will. I will bend my will to his will because I know that his promises are magnificent. Now, it's not the having success in every individual area. It's that I am surrendering my will to his. Yes, it will be difficult sometimes. Yes, it will be a fight. But the actual doing of the first thing, if I believe what he's done, that's the thing. Do you believe it? Do I believe it? And if we do, we'll apply, supply all these things. We'll go out to the skip <laughs> and bring in the antiques. When you think of it, we were very foolish not to. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it is God who is at work at you to will according to his good purpose. So he's at work in you. Why wouldn't you work it out? That's why you said earlier, because he has provided it, but it's also in you to perform the same mm. if you are allowed. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And it's his will, isn't it, for us? Mm. It's such a partnership, isn't it? Isn't it? He's done so much and given us everything we need. Yeah. Yeah. We have to we have to actually go into the direct and go into the orange grove and pick the fruit. Yeah. Definitely. He's given us an orchard. Mm. 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 Mm to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has already laid hold of me. 
says, I've already got this, but I'm pressing on to lay hold of what I've already got. I'm, I'm becoming what I already am. So, Father, thank you for your words. Sorry, Lord, if I missed out anything important. I guess I didn't. So uh, just thank you, Lord, and help us to stay in these verses for a while and to really look at them and understand what you're saying to us individually and collectively, Lord. Um, we want to be like Jesus. We want to live for your glory. Lord, it's hard sometimes when we get down to the nitty-gritty, but... Um, I trust you, Lord God, we trust you, that you have promised that we cannot fail, will not fail, that you who began this good work in us will see it through to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. And so we praise you, Lord, and, and we want to go along with that work. So I ask you for myself and I ask for everybody here that you would increase our knowledge of your will, Lord God. You would increase our love for you and our desire for you and that you would enable us, Lord, in the, in the difficult moments in our day to remember that we have surrendered our will to yours and to trust that you will help us to do what you are calling us to do. So we thank you, Father, really, for... I thank you for all of it. I ask you to help me to understand it more and to know and to grow into, in that knowledge of you, Lord. And I praise you, Father, because I know that these prayers, these ideas, these thoughts, these desires have come from you in the first place. And so I just praise you that by your Spirit you are living within me, within us, leading us even to want the things that you want us to have. And I praise you because you are a fulfilling God and you will always answer the prayer to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.